Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast. This is the Anglo-Dutch Wars of 1652 to 1674, part one of four. In previous episodes, a short time ago, I covered the English Civil War up to the trial and execution of King Charles I of England on the 30th of January 1649. In this set of episodes, I will continue with the story of the English, but focus on a series of conflicts they embarked on with their neighbour, the Dutch Republic. Three Anglo-Dutch wars in all, from 1652 to 1674. The execution of Charles I began a unique period of history for England, an experiment of rule under a republic. Since the late Middle Ages, a number of city-states in northern Italy, notably Venice and Genoa, had been run as republics, as was the Swiss Confederacy. Two Russian cities with a powerful merchant class, Novgorod and Peskov, had also adopted a republican form of government in the 12th and 13th centuries, respectively, until conquered by Muscovy at the end of the 15th century. While in Italy the ideological basis for republicanism was provided by ancient Rome and classical writers, in Northern Europe it was to be the Protestant Reformation. Calvinist theology, in particular, motivated Republican thought in the Swiss Confederacy and also played an important role in the Netherlands. During the Dutch Revolt, beginning in the year 1566, the Dutch Republic rejected the rule of the Spanish Habsburgs. However, the country did not adopt the Republican form of government immediately. At the time, it was still unthinkable among the vast majority of the population to be ruled by anyone other than a king or queen. The only question, if a monarch was deposed, was who would replace them. It took until 1588, before the Dutch estates, the representative assembly at the time decided to vest the sovereignty of the country in themselves. Apart from the few examples decided 
it was assumed throughout Europe that monarchy was the natural order of governance, ordained no less by God. The monarchs themselves and the whole state hierarchy below them naturally portrayed republicanism as abhorrent and heretical. The execution of King Charles I of England on the 30th of January 1649 therefore horrified most rulers on the continent. The English Parliament moved swiftly to seek a mandate to govern the country. Known to history as the Rump Parliament, having been reduced to a core group of radicals, they abolished the monarchy and the House of Lords and assumed full sovereign powers with an elected Council of State as the executive. The new Commonwealth, as it was called, had mixed support. By many it was tolerated as at least better than no government, but recognised for what it was, the political tool of the army leadership, with Oliver Cromwell at its head as Lord General. In August 1649, Cromwell led an army to Ireland. As described in a separate podcast available on the podcast's Patreon site, his victories at the eastern coastal towns of Drogheda and Wexford are notorious for the brutal treatment of the enemy. Although his actions were arguably consistent with the contemporary moors of war, they are viewed today with outrage in Ireland. In May 1650, Cromwell left Ireland where the putting down of the rebellion was completed by 1652. He was forced to return to the mainland because of troubles in the Kingdom of Scotland. In Edinburgh, the Parliament had acknowledged Charles I's son as King Charles II, who travelled on invitation to Scotland from the continent and was crowned in January 1651. The English Parliament regarded this as a hostile act for Charles undoubtedly would attempt to gain the English throne. Cromwell entered Scotland in July 1650, but failed to take Edinburgh. The challenge to his invading army was formidable. In September, outmanoeuvred by the Scottish general David Leslie, it found itself boxed in at Dunbar, on the east coast of Edinburgh. If Cromwell had lost the ensuing battle, England would have been laying open to the Scots and the Commonwealth regime in real danger. Instead, Cromwell defeated the Scots, took Edinburgh and subdued most of the lowlands. However, during the winter of 1650-51, Charles II gathered an army and in the summer of 1651 slipped by Cromwell and entered England. He reached as far as Worcester, southwest of Birmingham, where the final battle of the Civil War took place, a resounding victory for Cromwell against the Scots and Royalists. Charles II then fled to France. As for Scotland, the absence of Leslie's army left no force in Scotland capable of giving battle to the Commonwealth Army of General Monk. The city of Dundee was stormed and sacked on September the 1st. Other towns such as Montrose, Aberdeen and Inverness fell without a blow and in 1652 English control reached as far as the islands of Orkney. 
Scottish resistance was pushed back to the highlands of Scotland, which contained pockets of royalist supporters. Combined with the region's traditional lawlessness, this was a source of irritation to the Council of State, who rightly feared that an insurrection could be launched from the remote hills and glens. Charles II was still tempted to use Scotland as a springboard for a bid to reclaim the throne of England. The policy of the Commonwealth towards Scotland resembled in its aim the policy towards Ireland, namely to make them into an integral part of a British Empire. But the actions taken were more moderate. There was no general confiscation of lands of the vanquished, only of those who had directly invaded England in 1648 and 1651. There was no imposition of a national religion, but the National Scottish Church lost a portion of its independence, and was deprived of all power to check or control the civil government. The separate Scottish Parliament was ended and replaced by representation in the Parliament in Westminster. The new regime also needed to establish control over territories outside the mainland and Ireland, since royalists held the Scilly Islands, Channel Islands and the Isle of Man, as well as most of the English possessions in the New World. Crucial to this task was the loyalty of the Navy, and so in 1649 there took place a purge of Navy commanders, replacing royalist sympathisers with parliamentary commanders from the Civil Wars. At the same time, the Commonwealth began a steady programme of naval expansion. During the next three years, 20 new warships were built, and 25 others either purchased or added from captured prizes, almost doubling the size of the fleet. Also, some of the existing ships were renamed to match the new political leadership. As example, the ship Charles became Liberty, and the Royal Prince renamed as Resolution. In March 1651, the Council of State decided to take action against the Isles of Scilly, an archipelago 25 miles or 40 kilometres off the southwestern tip of Cornwall, in England, whose royalist governor, Sir John Grenville, was using the islands as a base for privateering raids on the Commonwealth and Dutch shipping. The main commanders were Robert Blake and Sir George Askew. Robert Blake was a Member of Parliament who began his military career on the side of the Parliamentarians, despite having no substantial experience of military or naval matters. Often referred to as the father of the Royal Navy, Blake went on to become probably the Commonwealth's most respected Admiral, and was largely responsible for building the largest navy the country had ever known. He also produced the Navy's first ever set of rules and regulations, called the Laws of War and Ordinances of the Sea, the first version of which was passed by the House of Commons in the year 1649. The Commonwealth forces met stubborn resistance from the 1,000-strong Royalist force, but they were eventually overcome and the islands of Syria were taken by late June. Blake's next target was the Channel Islands, which had been an important Royalist privateering base throughout the Civil War. The campaign began in September, and by December the main islands, Jersey and Guernsey, were recovered. 
Again, the islands were strongly defended, but thanks to Blake's skilful military and political handling of the situation, the Royalists' last remaining strongholds near the English coast were in Commonwealth hands. The Commonwealth also sent a navy to the Americas to gain control of English colonies there. The most important was the prosperous and relatively densely settled island of Barbados, which, if unsubdued, might provide a refuge for Royalist naval squadrons. By January 1652, Sir John Askew defeated resistance there, and the remaining territories of Virginia, Maryland and Bermuda soon followed suit. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Commonwealth at first found itself politically isolated. Most rulers denounced the regicide republic, and even regimes such as the Dutch, which seemed natural allies, were wary of working with a regime whose durability was uncertain. France took an active interest in British affairs, not least because King Louis XIII's young sister, Henrietta Maria, had been married to Charles I. But in the 1640s, the French were occupied with the Thirty Years' War. After the conclusion of the Congress of Westphalia, they were still at war with Spain. However, unlike the government of Spain, which recognised the new regime in England as early as 1650, the French refused to receive an ambassador from the Commonwealth, and instead recognised Charles II as king. They also helped Prince Rupert a nephew of Charles I, who fought for the Royalists in the English Civil War to launch attacks on English shipping from their ports. In response, English warships attacked French ships in the Channel, the North Sea and as far away as the Caribbean. There were also commercial tensions between the two countries. France placed an embargo on all imports of wooden and silk products, which hit English exports hard. In reply, the English placed a similar ban on imports from France. In 1648, a major series of revolts known as the Fronds broke out across France, and it was now the turn of the French Chief Minister, Jules Mazarin, to fear English intervention. He suspected 
that Puritan elements from England might urge the Protestants in France, the Huguenots, to rise again. Mazarin was equally concerned with war with Spain, which was going badly for the French, and after dragging on for several years, was bringing the government close to bankruptcy. The country, which at first seemed to Cromwell and his associates as their most natural ally, was the United Dutch Provinces. The two young Protestant republics had far more in common than they did with most other European states. But their similarities, instead of pulling them together, would end up pushing them towards war. One source of tension, which had existed for many years, were the complaints of English fishermen that Dutch ships took fish from waters they claimed as their own. This was only one part of a wider commercial rivalry. The seven provinces of the Dutch Republic had made themselves rich from the produce of the seas and the traffic of the oceanic highways. North Sea herrings, Arctic whales, West African slaves, the lucrative commerce of the Mediterranean, and most of all the exotic goods from the East Indies. Dutch interest in long-distance trade began in 1595, when a small fleet made a voyage from Amsterdam to Asia, under the command of Cornelis de Houtman. His mission was the breaking of the Portuguese monopoly of European navigation in Asia. They sailed around Africa and visited various islands in Indonesia. The voyage was especially tough for the inexperienced Dutch. Out of the original 240 men crew, only 87 returned. But as a feat of navigation, it was a great success, and the survivors brought back a wealth of information. Within five years, 65 more Dutch ships had sailed east to trade, and soon the Dutch would fully take over the spice trade in and around the Indian Ocean. The first commercial trips were organised by separate companies, but in 1602 they were amalgamated into one Dutch East India Company. In Dutch, the Vereinige Oostindische Company, abbreviated to VOC. The English equivalent, the East India Company, received its royal charter from Queen Elizabeth on the 31st of December 1600 but in the first half of the century, was far behind the Portuguese or Dutch. While the East India Company was vulnerable to the English Crown's vacillating policy regarding Asian trade, the control of the VOC was more dispersed, so less reliant on any one individual. By widely issuing bonds and shares of stock to the general public, the VOC is often credited with being the world's first formally listed public company. Rivalry between the English and Dutch came to a head in the early 1620s in two separate massacres. In 1621, the VOC conquered the island of Banda, part of the Malaku Islands, or the Moluccas in Indonesia, as a reprisal for what they saw as illegal trading with rivals. The majority of the inhabitants were killed or enslaved by the Dutch. Then two years later, the VOC's governor of Ambon 
an important island in the Moluccas, arrested the 10 East India Company employees on the island. After having them tortured, they were executed by beheading them on the charge of conspiring to seize the VSC's fort. Such brutal tactics were successful in underpinning the VSC's control of fine spices. Nevertheless, the so-called Ambiona Massacre would haunt the relations between the Dutch and English for the remainder of the century. In fact, it would become a staple of anti-Dutch propaganda in England during the later wars. As regards matters on the continent of Europe, the Dutch Republic consisted of seven provinces, which had gained de facto independence from Spain. From the 1620s to 1640s, its fortunes were tied to events in the Thirty Years' War. When France intervened in 1635, they concluded a formal alliance with the Dutch. By that time, the Republic's ruler, Frederick Hendrik, whose title was Tadholder, had successfully led resistance against the Spanish. His capture of the town of Maastricht in 1632 pushed the boundaries of the Republic to the south. Frederick Henrik did not quite live long enough to see the Peace of Westphalia concluded, whereby Spain formally recognised the Republic. Although the Dutch could regard themselves as victors, Westphalia also confirmed the retention by the Spanish of the more southern Low Countries. The Spanish Netherlands comprised most of the modern states of Belgium and Luxembourg, as well as parts of northern France, southern Netherlands or western Germany, with the capital being Brussels. In the 1630s, English merchants had been able to take advantage of Dutch preoccupation in the Thirty Years' War, but their position was substantially reversed in the 1640s because of the English Civil War. Especially from 1648, after the Peace of Westphalia, the Dutch steadily ate into England's share of the carrying trade, that is the transportation of goods of other countries. The most profitable of these goods were spices, whaling products, gold, silks and sugar. The Dutch took another large chunk of the carrying trade in the Baltic from 1649, after they negotiated with Denmark a discount on the sound tolls, which shipping entering the Baltic had to pay to the Danes. Dutch commercial agreements with Spain struck another serious blow to the English carrying trade with Spanish possessions and in the Mediterranean. The first of the three Anglo-Dutch wars of the 17th century began in 1652, the topic of next week's podcast. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. I hope you can join me next time for the outbreak of the Anglo-Dutch Wars. The music from today is by an Italian-born French composer called Jean-Baptiste Lully, who was working in the court of Louis XIV of France. The specific piece is the music of a comic play written by Jean-Baptiste Moria called Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme or the bourgeois gentleman. It satirises attempts at social climbing 
and the bourgeois personality, poking fun both at the vulgar, pretentious middle class and the vain, snobbish aristocracy. I'll leave you with the opening piece of the play, The Overture. I hope you enjoy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.